Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Wild and Woke Podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Susan, and we're your hosts. Do you love conspiracy theories, true crime, paranormal phenomena, and all things weird, unexplained, or creepy? You'll love spending every Monday joining us for a dive into the mysterious. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other platform you use to listen to podcasts. All stories start somewhere. Be wild, stay woke, question everything. listening to creep it real my name is ashley and i'm bianca thank you for listening and um thanks thanks for joining us for this second part of the flds warren jeff shit show we're happy you've come yes let's get to business last week we discussed or last episode we discussed um warren jeff's his uh upbringing we discussed rule on Jeffs, how the Jeffs family essentially came into power, and all of the kind of fucked up shit that yeah. they all did. Mm-hmm. And we covered, well, yep, the all fucked up shit that they did. Yeah. And so now we are going to continue on with the fucked up shit that they did and the inevitable undoing of Warren Jeffs, which eh, is kind of, depending on who you ask, some people don't think he was undid at all. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, in June of 2001, a chained-up guard dog used for breeding in Short Creek attacked a killed attacked and killed the family's baby. Warren used this as a way to get rid of all the dogs in the city because he hated dogs and all animals because he's a sociopath. He ordered every single person in Short Creek to hand their dogs over to the cult or else. Once the time came, they went around literally snatching dogs out of the arms of their owners and they were taken to a place known as Barry Knoll where sounds were amplified by the mountains on each side. First, the FLDS hooligans handling the job would run over the animal with their truck after which the town would hear the loud wailing of a dog and then they would shoot them. When that was deemed to be too noisy, they decided to hook up jumper cables to the poor pups, and instead of gunshots, the sound of tortured howls of the dogs rang through the night. I don't know why you said, oh, that's too noisy, let's make them howl. They're so, they're just, because the hooligans were literally like 20-year-old kids that had a first-grade education, and they thought that would be a better Mm -hmm. option. And, you know, they're listening, they believe this is a mission from God. There haven't been dogs or cats anywhere in FLDS strongholds ever since that day. Warren used it as a test of loyalty. If he could get his people to hand over their pets to be slaughtered, he was laying the groundwork to do even worse, and he knew that they would go right along with it as they were taught to do. The man, initial man, whose dog started all of this, was then thrown out of the church without anyone in the city batting an eye about it. Which I find to be interesting. It's like, it was almost like Warren wanted this to happen because he used it to his advantage. But then he was like, get out of here, man. You know, I don't understand any of his justifications for anything. So 
when Rulon finally passed away, like you talked about, it was described that Warren was by the grave that day, aglow with heavenly brightness. I do want to say I saw a picture of him at sitting next to Rulon Jeff's uh, open casket. Mm hmm. Like, and literally all of the wives are, wives are smiling. He's like smiling. He's like, (laughs) I mean, this was the best day of his life. Exactly. He was immediately over grieving for his father. There it is. Oh, like we would assume he would be. Um, and then he said to, and then at a leadership meeting two days following his father's death, he told the men at the meeting, I'm here to tell you men, hands off my father's wives. So everything that we suspected was definitely Mm -hmm. true. He had his pick of the children and women, and then he began assigning the less desirables to other men to take on the financial responsibility of caring for them. By announcing he was going to marry a number of his stepmothers, he broke a taboo which shook the entire church, as many contended it was a violation of the biblical law of Moses, which stated that a man shall not marry his father's wives. But why? (laughs) But why not? (laughs) But Warren attempted to assuage their concerns by by saying that he was receiving these revelations from God, rambling on almost incoherently in order to justify his decision, which is also typical of what he would do. So... He would typically talk in just circles. It's mm-hmm. like the manager speak thing where yes. you it's uh Sarah Palin uh one oh one. You you have no idea what the fuck you're saying in the first place. So you're just gonna talk in circles and talk in circles until no one else knows what you're saying either. You and just, if you don't and you feel like if you don't understand, then you must be stupid yeah. because you don't understand. It's just you're not hearing God yeah. the way that I hear yeah. God. If the people didn't understand, it was their fault because they were sinning there sinners. <laughs> and he warned them that they were treading down the path to a apostasy basically opposing opinions would be dealt with severely and with a quickness there was only one real threat to warren's path to take the position of prophet in the church and it was fred jessup who had been around for a very long time and had developed a loyal base of followers in those years unfortunately for fred he was sterile thus could never truly be the official leader of the church because sperm is the only thing that makes any human worth anything Mm, in this world mm -hmm. women take note Because of this, he had accumulated a large family of reassigned wives, children, widows, and orphans, and the people of Short Creek loved him for it. Warren said if God chose Jessup that he would follow, but Jessup likely saw the writing on the wall and at 90 years old didn't have the energy to do battle with the son of the dead prophet for the position of power for his last remaining years. Although Jessup did have another leader of the church in mind initially, based off of what he thought God had told him, again, he saw the writing on the wall and he didn't want to lose everything he had in his last years because that would be what would happen if yeah, he went absolutely. up against Warren. 100%. Warren brought Mother Mary, Rulon's former wife, who knew all the family secrets and who was now totally dependent upon him for her existence, and she claimed that Rulon had in fact been adamant that Warren was the next leader. But considering that she was just a worthless woman, her testimony was considerably weakened. But then Warren's brother Isaac knew if he kissed his brother's ass, he would later be handsomely rewarded, and so he began announcing his father had been saying for months that Warren was it. And not only that, he repeated it over and 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 over. And so, because there are no actual rules for succession, and he knew, and he had the pretty much forced approval from Fred Jessup, along with a very sketchy testimony from his brother and new wife stepmother, Warren had named himself the new prophet. Like you already said, really. But Warren knew that eventually it would be discovered in the church records just how he came to power. And he, being the paranoid lunatic he was, 
The more power he got, the more he feared that it was slipping away from him. He examined his people constantly and rarely found them to be, quote-unquote, keeping sweet, no matter how devout and obedient that they were. He decided that he needed willing muscle to help enforce his will, and so he drew from the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods, which were really just teenage boys who should have been carrying out standard church functions, but instead became his dirty little snitches that he called the Sons of Helaman, which is kind of... Uh, going off of those God's warriors or whatever you said. God squad. God squad. God squad. <laughs> you know what's so funny is like this all reminds me very much of, which I I always reference TV and movies, but the work, I don't know if you've ever seen Workaholics, but there's oh like God. the Workaholics episode of like the God squad. Anyway. Uh, anyway, it's fine. Everyone that has seen it knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> the only thing I know about Workaholics is that they reference Rashkagamunga, which is where mm-hmm. my grandparents had their house. And yeah. It's a real place. It's actually a really nice place. That's it. That's all I know about it. I haven't watched it. <laughs> it's really good, actually. Uh, I mean, it's pretty funny. They would bust... These sons of Helaman would bust into private residences, making sure the people were being obedient. And his pic- and his picture, the prophet's picture, was displayed on the wall as he instructed. Oh, that sounds a lot like uh, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il. Also, situation. L. Ron Hubbard, I think, had the same situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. positive, but I think. Anything that they found to be questionable, they reported to the priesthood authority, which went right to Warren, who dealt with the offenders. They were also taught to march with their hands clasped behind their backs for some reason, but apparently would just emerge out of the darkness 75 at a time sometimes, marching in unison with their hands behind their back, like a scarier version of the monkeys on Wizard of Oz or something. I, I was like, what the fuck? If I, they said that, they, like, you know, someone would be doing something like, uh, who knows what, and all of a sudden, out of the darkness, come marching in unison, oh, 75 no. teenaged boys. Oh, no. The worst nightmare that you could ever in your life have. Like, teenage boys are the, and, and girls are the scariest oh, things. Oh, no. <laughs> teenage boys and girls. They're so scary. So, no one in the FLDS batted an eye at the all-out assaults on individual families that would take place when a defector wanted to continue living in Short Creek in the home that they had built themselves and lived for lived in for who knows how many years whatever the will of the prophet was had to be carried out no matter what they had to do or whose life it completely devastated so about we you know you talked about books and magazines Mm -hmm. and flashy clothes were all works of the devil according to warren and he talked about rock country and softer music chastising his people saying when you choose to put in that disc or tape and the booming music is taking place you are denying god and you are participating in devil worship how it grabs hold of you Mm. it puts a beat inside of you and it makes you lose your ability to pray true beats (laughs) beats do make me unable to pray i feel like I feel like it's all rooted in racism. Hold on. I feel like like there's Gregorian chanting. <laughs> like I don't understand that situation. Okay, that's fine. What isn't there like Christian music too? Like Christian no. rock, like hell song? Not here. No, Not okay, here. fair, 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 fair. Those beats are devilish. <laughs> so he banned the American flag, that's fine. sports, and any and all organized get togethers. What is this? A pandemic? <laughs> Dancing <laughs> holidays. Like, like you said, the color red because he said it would mock Christ. Who he said would return in red robes. Oh, get out. Oh, my God. It was pretty clear he was dead set on ripping any sense of happiness from his followers under the guise of creating a quote-unquote pure society, Mm. even though he was out there raping children. Mm. After officially sealing himself to seven of his former stepmothers, Warren decided that this was time 
This was the time to begin writing every single little thought of his life and musings and goings on, a la Kevin Spacey and Seven. <laughs> and similar to that creepy fucking serial killer, Warren thoroughly documented his sadistic abuse of young children. Good. Yeah. Well, honestly, this come back, comes back yes. to fuck him. Yes, for sure. Royally. But still, God, poor but, person right. who had to read through all this. Oh, my God. Have you listened to the audio of that little girl? Yeah. It's never should be listened to by anybody. It's, it's terrible. He claimed God and his dead father were helping him write all this. Mm. Additionally, he began going after all the young girls in Short Creek at an even more desperate pace. He searched through every family for young girls who he could marry off to old men, which also included his permission to immediately start having sex with them or uh, raping them. The priesthood records detailed this pretty clearly with the following. The Lord is showing me the young girls of this community, those who are pure and righteous, will be taken care of at a younger age. As the government finds out about this, it will bring such a great pressure upon us, upon the families of these girls, upon the girls who are placed in marriage. And I will teach the young people that there is no such thing as an underage priesthood marriage, but that it is a protection for them if they will look at it right. Just look at it right, everybody. The Lord will have me do this, get more young girls married, not only as a test to the parents, but also to test these people to see if they will give the prophet up. Meaning, were, was anyone going to snitch to the authorities on him mm. for taking 12-year-old girls and raping them and making them, quote-unquote, wives? It was the ultimate trial of faith. Would they remain compliant and go along with this child molestation, or would they turn against him? Well, I think we can all take a guess. His brother Lyle came to him with questions about his 16-year-old bride, asking if he should wait until she was of age to have sex with her and have children, to which Warren responded, Why wait? Do it now. You didn't get married to not live the law. Next, in his perverse scheme, he summoned his ally, Merrill Jessup, to tell him of a new revelation from the Lord, a shocking dream in which wicked men were out to destroy certain young girls, which included Merrill's 13-year-old daughter, Ida. Warren said her life was in mortal danger, and if he or Merrill just stood by and let it happen to her, they were responsible for whatever happened to her as far as, like, going to hell is what they meant. Not, you know, getting married to an old man and getting right. raped by her. That night, Warren would marry 13-year-old Ida Jessup. He told her father she will be raised up as a daughter and gradually as a wife. But in his diary added, but she looks like a natural wife already. Oh, gross. Oh, gross. So we can all take a guess about how long he waited to move that designation to wife from daughter. In one eight-day span, Warren went from 25 wives to 42, while Moore underwent religious quote-unquote training to teach the little girls how to be quote-unquote good wives. Does anyone else want to fucking murder somebody right now? In 2003, the state of Utah started prosecuting FLDS members for bigamy and underage sex. As the leader of the church and the person who performed most of the marriages, Warren knew that they'd be coming after him short enough, so he started looking for new homes in for the congregation far from Short Creek. In Sunday church services on August 10th of 2003, Warren Jeffs declared that the blessings of the priesthood had been removed from the community of Short Creek. You sinners! Following the sermon, Jeff suspended all further religious meetings, but continued to allow his followers to pay their tithes and <laughs> offerings to him. <sighs> this lazy motherfucker, dude. No more. <laughs> give me you, money, please. You don't deserve a church service, but do give me all your money. I mean, basically, it's every fucking <laughs> church. 
He then turned his focus to what he called lands of refuge, which were secret communities that he had started to build up. In November, he announced that the Lord had given him a new revelation. He was going to take all of his underage children to a special place in Texas that the Lord called a land of refuge, designated only for the more worthy of his people. <sighs> he found a property in El Dorado, Texas, and at the time, the age of consent for marriage in Texas was only 14. They hadn't changed the laws since the 1800s, but that would change after this. He instructed David Allred to purchase the land for the church there for $700,000 and had ordered construction uh, of what would become the Yearning for Zion, or YFZ Ranch. He himself would never live there or anywhere full-time, since he was always on the move, evading the law. As is typical with a lot of cult leaders, as we have talked about in the past. The ranch was a 1,700-acre community situated 45 miles southwest of San Angelo and 4 miles northeast of El Dorado, of as many as 700 people, Located near El Dorado in Schleicher County, Texas, settled by members of the FLDS church who left a Short Creek, the Short Creek area under increasing scrutiny from the media, anti-polygamy activists, and law enforcement officials. Jeffs referred to, Warren Jeffs referred to Yearning for Zion Ranch, one of the lands of refuge, by the codename R-17. And they did that so that when they were talking about this with construction members or anybody that might be listening that were spying on them, uh, they wouldn't know exactly where they were talking about. But I don't know that they would know where Yearning for Zion Ranch was either. Yeah, Because you true. made that name up, but whatever. So he said that the Lord told him what the design for this giant temple they were building was going to be. And it was four levels. It was some, I don't think I put it here. It was something crazy, like 5,000 square feet per level. Jeez. Uh, there was going to be a baptismal font in the basement. The telestial floor on the ground level would have everything light green. Then the terrestrial floor on the second level would have carpet and chairs that were light blue and from the terrestrial floor it would link to the celestial top floor by a white carpeted staircase it was all and then the celestial top floor was all white everything you know like marbles well whatever while while warren would say that god gave him these special instructions in reality he just googled traditional lds churches and copied their designs uh -uh. <laughs> yes much like a lot of the shit he does he would say that the Lord hated certain tiles and God rejected the drapes. And then that God had revealed to him during one of his heavenly sessions that a special, strong, hardwood bed was to be built to be used in temple rituals and would be the Holy of Holies, most sacred area in the temple. Vomit all over the place. The actual instructions entered into church record went as follows. Table on wheels that could be converted into a sturdy bed when the top was removed. On the right would be a cushioned prayer bench that would, that could be folded away and hidden when not in use. The bed will be a size big enough for me to lay on it. It will be covered with a sheet, but it will have a plastic cover to protect the mattress from what will happen on it. And ropes. Oh, what? Oh, why? Why? A, a dozen chairs oh. would surround it oh, no. and a podium would overlook it. So that's good. That's really good. In his journal, he wrote, something is going to happen in that room, and then wrote it one more time because he's just that insufferable that his journal is written like a fucking television voiceover. Like, what is wrong with this man? 
In March of 2004, Warren picked two more little children to become his wives, Mildred Marlene Blackmore, and, who was 13, and Annie Lurie Jessup, who was 14, both being handed over without hesitation by their fathers to a pedophile. Mm. These young girls have been given to me to be taught and trained how to come into the presence of God and help redeem Zion from their youngest years before they go through teenage doubting and boy troubles. I will be their boy trouble and guide them right. Or, in other words, groom them and brainwash them into not realizing they were being stripped out of any choices in life while also being terribly abused. Soon after, Flora Jessup called the El Dorado Success, which was the local paper in the town and told them it was FLDS and Warren Jeffs that were building a giant compound in their town. And she was coming down to hold a press conference about it. Still, the FLDS stuck to their story about the corporate hunting retreat and the editor for the paper tracked down the FLDS lawyer who admitted that the compound was in fact connected to the cult. So they weren't, you know, I don't really know why they thought they were going to be able to completely hide that from everyone so well, but I don't, they obviously was not very successful. Various government agencies became interested in seeing what was going on at the compound, and after a short time, the FLDS had to fess up that they had lied about what was going on there to avoid media attention, but they were there to stay. After bad storms in the winter of 2004 and racking up various legal bills, Warren ordered each adult male FLDS member to give over a $1,000 a month donation, which is a shit ton anyway, but especially with these men that had very little income. And they also ordered each family to stop any construction on their own homes and give the church any future money that would have been spent on the construction of their home. I don't understand. And this ended up being about 10% of each member's gross income. Wow. I mean, he was just taking everything, everything possibly that they had. Could. They yes, had. exactly. Lawsuits went after Warren, the FLDS, and the United Effort Plan and Civil Court, but would name as defendants for criminal acts the rape of Brent, Brent Jeffs, a child, which we still haven't talked about. We'll talk about it in a little bit. And racketeering violations under the Utah version of the federal RICO statutes, which were created to fight the mafia. But mm -hmm. I guess we have all kinds of different criminal organizations nowadays, like the FLDFs. With all the legal issues and tumult within the followers, Warren was increasingly worried he was going to be assassinated, and he began to only travel with hordes of security protecting his every move, because he's a little bitch. Eventually, it all got to him to the point where he decided he needed to just disappear, and so he told his wives that the Lord had instructed him to move away. He sent scouts out to search for a new isolated location where he could hide out, but he was telling them it was the place they could hold up at the end of the world. It was nothing to do with him hiding out. So in the end, while they were building the compound in Texas, he left 25 men, 12 women, and 16 children to live in a large camper trailer, a motorhome, and four tents. The motorhome had a bathroom, and those tents shared a portable toilet. He literally left them to be working 20 hours. He said, pray that you can work 24 hours a day, but you must work 20. So he left all these people to be like literally working men and women and children to be working their asses off with ridiculous deadlines to build this camp without providing even adequate living structures for them or bathrooms. Like he is the biggest piece of shit in the world. It was also during this time that his second wife, Barbara had been diagnosed with cancer at only 38 years old. And she had only six months left to live uh, around this time. 
She had noticed a lump in her breast years earlier, but he never let her go get it checked out by a doctor. And by the time she finally did go, it had already gone too far along. This is important because he told all of the mothers of his children that the Lord had directed him to move his children to a sacred land, but none of the m- mothers were worthy to go. Oh, Barbara, given her cancer diagnosis, stood up and threw her arms around him, exclaiming, Warren, I will never see my children again. He was unmoved and simply said, this is the Lord's will. Her health quickly declined after this. Her youngest child was two, and she wasn't even allowed to talk to her children on the phone. Wow. In April of 2004, Warren allowed her two youngest children to come back to Short Creek to be with her, but she was too weak to do anything with them or to care for them. By May, the cancer had spread to her lungs, and she was on oxygen to help her breathe. Finally, Warren told her, The Lord showed me that you have humbled yourself enough to be worthy to come to Zion. So she would be moved to Texas to join the rest of the family, but was in a wheelchair. And as she had been getting chemo, the the treatment had sucked out the remainder of life that she had. In July, Warren called his daughter, Rachel, who was the daughter that we talked about in the first episode, and told her that she, she was not worthy to go on to the land where her mother, Barbara, lived but that she could come see her while she was in the hospital in San Angelo. Warren called while they were still at the hospital, saying, this is the last time you will see your mother because you are still not worthy to be on the land of refuge. Dick. And they would not be allowed, her and her brother would not be allowed to go to her funeral. The next morning, however, he called with a new revelation, saying, the Lord showed me that seeing your mother dying has humbled you and your brother, Ammon, enough that you can be trained and then go to your mother. For fuck's <laughs> sake. Okay. Like, what the fuck? We're just, yes, no, 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 no. Actually, yes. Well, he has no idea what he's saying. Exactly. Even, he even had Nephi drive them more than, fi- Nephi, his brother, more than 500 miles, which was an eight-hour journey to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to where Warren was. It took him all day to give them their special training, in which he instructed them about strict obedience, hard work, no complaining, Rising no later than 5 a.m., getting to priesthood training on time. No gentilism of any kind. Gentile, gentilism is like a normal folk. is yeah. like wearing, you know, jeans. Just being a normal human. Folk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, wearing plain pastel clothing in the house and dark clothing when outside working and no shoes inside. He told them that the Lord wanted a temple built in Texas and that he had them covenant to do all the good things and to keep the land of refuge secret, a secret and sacred place. Therefore, now they were deemed worthy. Thank you. When Rachel arrived in El Dorado after another day-long drive, Barbara was already in a coma, and she died very briefly after. She was only 39 years old. At the funeral, Warren spoke for three hours, and nobody else was invited to say anything except for the songs that they sang. Three hours? Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. During his three-hour sermon or speech or whatever, he actually talked about how Barbara was not a perfect wife, that she was jealous sometimes, and that the Lord had given her cancer to punish her. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, at her funeral. He didn't want people to feel bad for her death. Rather, he said he was the one suffering and that her illness had been difficult for him. Oh, my gosh. Um, So... Pringle, South Dakota is another one of these lands of refuge. Um, and it is, and this particular compound was located in a secluded area of the Black Hills. 
in the southwest corner of the state, not far from Mount Rushmore. This was where Warren Jeffs had established yet another land of refuge. Only the worthiest of people could live on these particular lands. He had recorded hours of special training for the people there to listen and live by, and every new person who came to live on the land had to complete all of the training before they did anything else. Listening from morning until night took about two weeks to get through them all, and if anyone so much as fell asleep while listening, that person could be sent away or back to Short Creek. And and also, it is said that he, or not, it is said, it's true. It is true. He drones on in this monotone way of speaking in all Everywhere. of his sermons. Every every single time I've heard him speak, he's just droning and on and on. The new rules to learn to be worthy of the land of refuge were as follows. For clothing, all clothing had to be made by your own hands. None could be purchased from Gentiles. Dresses had to have shirt collars and be made of light, light pastel colors because God delights in pastels. <laughs> yes. Like that's actually what he said because God delights in pastels. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Okay. For hair, no, no more braids hanging down women's backs. God now wanted women to wear their hair up on top of their heads. Good. Women's hair was considered sacred and was to be used for sacred ordinances with her husband in the temple so its length could not be revealed. What? I don't know. I don't know. I actually am unaware. Well, I was thinking, you know... Look, I know in, like, native culture and, like, in Islam, like, women's hair is a big... is is sacred. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But... What? Oh, I was. <laughs> I was more. <laughs> what? He's just running the difference in where our brains go. I was like, is this like some kind of sex thing? Because he doesn't want them to be seen sexually. Because like maybe when their braid is down their back, men around town would be like, "Ooh, I'd like to pull on that." While I'm getting oh, her from behind. Not at all. What I thought. <laughs> that's not like at where all. I went. that's where I went with it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. So as far as prayer was concerned, women and children had to kneel down to pray in a prayer circle every hour on the hour from five in the morning until seven at night. What a pain in the knee. <laughs> to get up late or miss hourly prayer was a grievous sin before God. Missing too often would result in being sent away from the land of refuge and repentance and rebaptism would be required to return. For food, they could only eat food that they made themselves and purchasing processed foods was forbidden. Sugar was forbidden and so was white flour. Only wheat flour and later only wheat grown wheat flour grown by themselves was allowed. I'm starting to wonder if all you fucking <laughs> all you anti sugar and flour people are y'all just taking Tito? are y'all just taking Tito. this fucking Warren Jeffs uh -uh. edicts and running <laughs> with it? Like what's going on here? Milk had to be raw, and Gentile homogenized milk was forbidden. Only meat from cows and chickens raised on the lands was allowed. Hmm. Men earned their privileges through construction, um, and laborers were put in charge of erecting the buildings on the land of refuge. The early settlers were instructed to build a home as quickly as possible for the people who would be coming after, and men were brought in from the creek without their families as laborers of Zion to complete the construction. There were strict deadlines for each building, like Ashley just said, and if the men did not meet them, their punishment was severe, 
some men losing their families forever as a result of missing these deadlines. That were unreasonable and also given to them by someone who had no idea about construction whatsoever because Warren never had to do any of that right. stuff. So he had no fucking idea. It's like some idiot going into a construction site and being like, get those windows in by tomorrow at three or else. And it's like, but we haven't even do, framed them yet. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? So they were given 14 days to build a house that had 14 bedrooms and 12 bathrooms and enormous living areas, which took 60 men working 22 hours per day to meet the deadlines and keep their families and salvation. They had to literally build at least a room and some a day. Oh, my God. During this time, Warren spent most of his time in his room as waves of mothers went in and out in groups. <sighs> so this whole time, he's just fucking away because he's like a sex addict. It was also during this time that Warren had had a new revelation that um, what he called the law of Sarah allowed him to have multiple naked wives with him at one time, all in the name of God, to give him heavenly comfort as he solemnly atoned for the sins of his people. Gross. He said that these girls had been given to him by God before they go through teenage doubting and fears and boy troubles and said that he would be their boy trouble and guide them right. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, you're disgusting. In true sadistic fashion, he especially liked to bring in young new brides who found this completely repulsive because it aroused him to watch these girls do something that they absolutely abhorred. I mean, can you imagine having no idea about anything and then you're like, oh, you get thrown into the situation where you're supposed to have sex with Fuck this old no, dude. Absolutely. And then at the same time, there's this other naked lady in here. Who knows what he was telling them to do? No kidding. Ugh. So there was a story that I read in Breaking Free where Rachel talks about Warren chastising some of the men for not completing a home that they were building on time. And as a result, he said he would now have to have to atone for the people so that God might forgive them. And as he was praying, he began to slur, and the words, the words he spoke sounded like nonsense. Rachel opened her eyes, and she saw that he was shaking violently, and then slowly fell to the ground unconscious, seemingly. And weeks later, he called a special meeting, saying that God wanted some of his close wives to testify that his odd behavior during this special prayer had been his atoning for the sins, and that he had suffered greatly on their behalf. Why even listen to women? They're stupid. They don't know <laughs> shit. Why are you trying to get them to testify for you? So he said that those who testified said that they'd felt the power of God around them or around him and that they'd seen visions of angels surrounding him, administering to him as the spirit of God rushed over him. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah, I bet they did. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On January 10th, 2004, Warren banished 21 men from the cult in one fit of a tantrum, reassigning their children and wives to other men as though they were merely possessions to be handed down. But then one man did something that was simply not done as a member of the incredibly obedient group and told Warren to go fuck himself, fuck basically. Yes. This man was Ross <laughs> Chatwin, who, with his wife, Lori, began, they had begun courting a 16-year-old girl that they wanted to bring into their marriage as a sister wife or whatever the fuck they want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> they passed notes back and forth, and the girl suggested they bring one of her friends into the marriage as well, so it could be a multi-plural multi, multi -plural ceremony. And uh, Sam Brower, he 
saw some of these letters because he became close with Ross Chatwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said that they really amounted to, I love you. Do you love me? It was like nothing. It was nothing perverse, though. You're still sure. talking about uh, a 16 year old girl, which he had to have this conversation with the couple. Like, you do realize that that's not OK. Right. And they were like, oh, OK. And so they actually realized afterwards, like, oh, I didn't know. That's how we've been raised. Like that. We thought that was right, OK. Of so then they claim that they changed their whole view about that and no longer thought it was okay to marry 16-year-old girls. So on the surface, this seems right up the old FLDS alley to, in a way to be proactive, but oh no, not with Warren. He is the only mm-hmm. one that gave you your wives, likely because he wants first pickings, not because he was trying to be fair mm-hmm. because God told him. It was because he was like, wait, your wife, that girl. I like that one. That girl's really attractive and you deserve someone less attractive right. than that. So he was coming off the high... So he was coming off of the high of banishing those 21 men from his kingdom. And before the smoke had cleared from that, here was some unauthorized marriage happening seemingly out of nowhere. And Warren, known for his manic behavior, immediately assumed Chatwin was part of a larger conspiracy against him, saying satanic influences were being spread among his people, and he excommunicated Ross Chatwin. He was instructed to write out a list of his sins, which would then be compared... Okay, listen to this. Ross was instructed to write out a list of his sins, which would then be compared to Warren's own true list of Ross's transgressions. That had been relayed to him by God. Oh, sure. It was obviously a losing game, and Ross's list didn't even begin to match up to, quote-unquote, God's list that mm-hmm. Warren had mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. Who even knows what was on there? Yeah, who knows? And it and likely was very much not true, most of it. Obviously, because he's making it up. Within a few hours, a, a FLDS minion came to the chat when home to deliver the news that Ross was out, the children and Lori had been reassigned, and were to have no further communication with Ross as to not jeopardize their own place in the church and heaven. There was to be no divorce, no custody hearing, nothing to do with the law, no communication whatsoever, just the command of the prophet. But, of course, he was to continue paying tithes oh, and offerings God, to the church this whole time. The Chatwins refused to comply. Good. Even Lori, who had been raised in the church to follow the rules, stay sweet under any and all circumstances, and remain subservient, was like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> she told a reporter at the time that she loved her husband and not Warren. Which is, like, huge. That's really big, yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the Chatwins were not the only families going through the excommunication process who had not been able to actually leave the area altogether because it was the only home they'd ever known, like we talked about earlier. The world outside the walls of Short Creek were intimidating and scary. As was typical behavior for Warren, he set a trap for the Chatwins. He left an envelope of money on their doorstep, asking them to mail out letters that were left with the cash and to keep whatever was left of the cash after they paid for postage. The letters that they didn't even read, probably, disavowed Warren as the prophet, saying it was actually another excommunicated member who was the prophet, which Warren then used to say Ross was spreading unauthorized (sighs) visions from God that were obviously Satan. Satan. Great. Yeah. So Ross continued to fight, holding a press conference on January 23rd, where he described Warren as a Hitler-like dictator that needed to be stopped before he ruined a beautiful town. Though at that point, I'm pretty sure it was too late on that front. He also said that Warren had recklessly wasted over $100 million in church assets, part of which was being spent on building a new hidden compound. He pled with the cameras, we need your help to stop Warren Jeffs from destroying our families, kicking us out of our homes, and marrying our children 
children into some kind of political brownie point system. The UEP issued an eviction letter to the Chatwin family, who then got in contact with a lawyer who provided assistance to those who could not pay, and a hardship eviction case was assigned to an attorney that I spoke about briefly earlier named Joan Dudley. Joan was a black woman who could not back down from a fight with the FLDS, who would not back down from a fight with the FLDS church, pretty much the epitome of everything that the church hated. She immediately wrote a letter stating the property was in dispute, thus no action could be taken until the matter was ruled on by a judge. But that was of no concern to the Colorado City Town Marshals, who are only legitimate, quote-unquote, law enforcement by uniform alone, because they're under the FLDS thumb. They brought Ross's brother, Stephen, and his family, along with 50 construction workers, to evict him. 50 people, letter from the law or not. They even attempted to arrest Ross under no actual charges, but would likely have succeeded had Sam Brower not been in the situation and intervened and said, you have no legal recourse here. Mm. Like, what? This is a civil matter, first of all. And what are you doing? Like, what did he do? What did, what's the, what did he do wrong here that you're arresting him for? And they were like, (laughs) because nobody ever, like, confronts them about anything. At the eviction trial, Willie the Thug, Jessup, which, who is a loudmouth FLDS spokesman whose willingness to be a doormat made him useful in the eyes of the church, took the stand, and when he had to be asked repeatedly if he was a bodyguard for Warren and a few other high-ups in the, in the cult, I ugh, interchangeably, we've been messing Same it up. Mm-hmm. And finally, he responded no comment to the judge, James Chavez. The judge blew up on him, saying, who do you think you are? You're not outside talking to the media. And so Willie was forced to admit that he did, in fact, serve as bodyguard to Warren (laughs) and multiple other important FLDS figures, which will later come into play as it will be used against him in the years following. What an idiot. I know. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) (laughs) no comment. What an idiot. (laughs) So for just a little background on Willie, him and his brother, D. Jessup, were used as quote-unquote muscle for the FLDS. The excommunicated people that were still living in Short Creek were scared as shit of him. They called him God's Aven- them God's Avengers, more like the Lord's Force, which is my joke about the workaholics thing. Uh, D has openly admitted that he would slit his wives' throats if Warren wow. gave the order. Openly. <laughs> and Willie went on, went from simply being a thug for the church to a spokesperson once their legal troubles began. Uh, he went on many national television shows where he was the face of the cult. The fact that he rose to power as he did speaks to how the church operates by creating an environment filled with mm-hmm. fear and intimidation. And we'll mention him just a little bit in a little while. Again, at the end of the hearing, the FLDS were unsuccessful in evicting the Chatwins from their home. But Regardless, though, even though the law told them they didn't have to evict them, they actually still forced on him that his brother, who was still part of the church, mm-hmm. moved into his upper level of his home. So it, and they were constantly doing things to try to get him to leave the of home. Course. So it was like, just, it doesn't, the law just doesn't, makes no difference right. to them. So back in short, so in Shore Creek on January 14th, 2004, Warren stood at the speaker's platform in, um, in the meeting house at 6.40 a.m. His followers began arriving and he had a message to deliver. He droned on and on in his monotone, idiotic way, expelling yet 17 more men, destroying a number of families that had built short, that had actually built Short Creek and had been there from before he was even born. Wow, what an asshole. He's such a piece of shit. 
He told them that the Lord had revealed these men no longer held priesthood. He needed to clean up his kingdom before the end of the world came, and they must go away and repent at a distance. The men themselves raised their hands when asked who agreed that this was the will of God, because they are taught to be obedient no matter the circumstance. What the fuck? I don't know. Among the, among the expelled were four of his own brothers, one of them who would later be found at the bottom of a cliff in his car with a suicide note. Oh. He just doesn't give a shit. The rest of the congregation was so relieved to be saved from pu- the punishment that day that on their way out of the building, they just gushed at Warren, declaring their fervent loyalty because they're just so fucking mm-hmm. glad that they're not getting kicked out of the town. Warren, in typical FLDS fashion of keeping it sweet no matter what, monstrous cruelty had just been dispensed, told them, I love you all. The repercussions from that day resulted in suicide, death, depression, financial ruin, incest, and a slew of other awful things. But, you know, he loves them all, yeah, right? Some of them, stra- or some of the stranded wives and children of these 17 men ended up getting passed around the quote-unquote priesthood, according to investigator Sam Brower. Everybody got a turn with them. It is definitely disgusting. After delivering that crushing blow to those 17 families, he began the process of going into hiding. For real hiding. Where it became, like, difficult to find him. Yes, For real hiding. (laughs) Because he's, like, you know, been there for a while. Yeah. At the end of February 2004, Warren's driver and bodyguard Ben Johnson was pulled over because his license plate was obscured. When officers spotted a bloody arrow, he told them it was from hunting, after which the game warden demanded to see the deer's body so johnson johnson <laughs> never failed johnson took him into the zion property and the visitors were stunned to witness the massive buildings being built warren and his chosen few okay now that he was in hiding warren and his chosen few like he had a very select few that he decided were worthy of being with him on this run from the law they traveled the country hiding out and wore quote-unquote gentile clothing they got their hairs hairs braided in cornrows and they were just like totally cool man like just totally living a free life what why you would choose cornrows as a white man no idea <laughs> especially considering you're a fucking racist piece of garbage they hired a black woman to braid their hair it is so bizarre Who knows? i don't understand that um in july 2004 people started coming out with their stories oh thank you for that you're, you're welcome <laughs> among the defectors were war jeffs and it is one of who was one of Rulon's banished sons that refused to abandon his family. He abandoned polygamy and lived with wife Susan with three sons, Brent, Brandon, and David. And Brent, as we have spoken about many times, is one of the is the uh, case of like uh, rape against Warren mm-hmm. in his trial. Mm-hmm. A fourth son, Clayne, tragically took his own life after a life filled with trauma, which his therapist later revealed to his family after his death. Well, there's a lot of therapists revealing a lot of stuff to people after their death here. Yeah. Is that even allowed? I don't know. Maybe. So his therapist said that Clayne had confessed to her that he had been repeatedly raped by several of his uncles, including Warren Jeffs. When this information came to light, Brandon and Brent admitted that they too had been molested by these same individuals. The three young men shared the same exact story of being between the ages of five and seven and having been repeatedly raped and sodomized by Warren and several other uncles for longer than a year. The family shared these stories to investigator Sam Brower, who learned that all these abuses took place at a place that you spoke about called the Alta Academy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when Brent took Sam Brower on a tour of the closed academy, he took them 
he took him down to the basement room that was meant for children while adults attended services and recounted how Warren would come and take him out of class to the bathroom where he and his other uncles would rape him, kind of like you mentioned earlier. He said Warren was keyed up with lust and would d- babble continuously about it being part of the boy's secret initiation into the priesthood, warning that if he ever told anyone about their sacred rite of passage, he and his entire family would be sent to eternal damnation in hell. When Brent attempted to get help from the horrific abuse, other members of the FLDS cult called him a liar. And of course, Satan was working through Mm. him, not the child rapist. Brandon, his brother, also went separately with Brower and told a fairly identical story, save for a few details that made him think the young men were telling the truth. At a certain point, Brandon, home on leave from the U.S. Army, was telling Brower what happened to him with his uncles in the bathroom, and he just could not hold it together any longer. As he was sobbing and his brother David was hugging him, David admitted for the very first time that to anyone that it had happened to him as well. David would sadly take his life as well only a few months later. All four brothers in one family. So if one family has four brothers being abused, who the fuck else Mm. was being abused like this? Oh, at the point of this abuse, Warren had two wives who had no trouble going home to, surely to be a self-righteous asshole, after a day of raping little kids. It's absolutely disgusting. Infuriating. The next defector was Milton Holm, who... In the summer of 2000, Lenore and Milton Holm were summoned to Warren's office for an unexpected interview. Believing themselves to be loyal followers, the couple were terrified that they'd done something to stray and they were about to be punished for it. Even though they obviously hadn't done anything, you know, course, it's like they're, they're like they're racking their brain. What have I done that could have that could have gone against God? Instead, they were told that they were to give 38 year old Wynn Jessup, their 15 year old daughter, Nicole, as a gift as the gift of a wife. The pair didn't have much to say on the matter. It was a command after all. In fact, a wedding had already been scheduled for the following day when she would turn 16. They hastily agreed, likely incredibly relieved to not be excommunicated or worse. On the drive home, though, Lenore started having flashbacks to her first marriage, the one that she was forced into before she'd married Milton. She couldn't bear to allow her daughter to be subjected to that kind of assault. By the time they got home, they had revoked their consent for Warren to take their daughter. Obviously, this infuriated Warren, who called Milton within 10 minutes of hearing the news, telling him he'd lost priesthood and had allowed his wife to run the family. They were excommunicated from the church and were to immediately vacate their home. They began to receive visitors from the church, telling them to trust the will of the prophet and allow him to take their teenage daughter as a slave and rape victim. When they still refused, the visits from the FLDS became threatening, as they were told that if they did not sell their daughter over to the man, over to the man, dire judgments of God would befall the entire family. They were served with an eviction notice and told to immediately vacate their homes. Friends and neighbors they'd had for years stopped talking to them. The city turned off all utilities and trash pickup was stopped. Most horrifying of all, their daughter Nicole, who Warren wanted as a bride, suddenly completely disappeared without a trace. Mm. Lenore went to local law enforcement begging Chief Marshal Sam Roundy to investigate. After a few weeks, he reported back that he'd spoken to Nicole, didn't know where she was, that she'd voluntarily run away sure. and was safe. Yeah, sure. Lenore knew he was lying and that Nicole was most likely now married to Wynn Jessup. It turned out they did in fact take her across the border even to Canada where she was married to Wynn, who she'd been given to kind of like a nice watch. Mm. Nicole though was complicit in the situation at 
as much as you can be at 16. Uh, she was told to obey the prophet since birth. So she thought that's what she was doing. She thought her parents were wrong. Oh. Regardless, it was rape organized by the church. But Nicole refused to communicate with them or else being else risk being banished from the church. And after this and being told to leave her, their home, Lenore and Milton sued. And from this came the UEP versus home case, which was went to the Supreme Court. And it began again as some of these legal proceedings against the FLDS that were a long time coming. But there's just like there's so many people there. There's so many people that are defectors. And there's also so many people that are just complicit in this but the last ones that i'm gonna talk about are flora and ruby jessup ruby tried to escape flds at 13 years old a judge sent her back where she was essentially held prisoner for the next three years she had been sealed at 14 years old to her older stepbrother haven barlow who had raped her so badly she almost bled to death and had to be taken to the emergency Yikes. room she later ran Yikes. away right i know uh, I was like, how does that even like what? How, why would you continue to do that? I how no is idea. that even something that you like as like well because you're a power thing? It's gotta be whatever just, you know. rapist. <sighs> she later ran away, but was returned by Utah CPS to her quote unquote husband, who had been accused of raping her and sent her to the hospital. So that's good, CPS. Way way to go. So yes, so those are some stories of the defectors and how great they're treated by even fucking non-FLDS. Like, what Yeah, what the fuck, dude? So on May 27th, a third district judge, Robert Atkins, issued a temporary restraining order suspending the power and authority of the UEP Trust, which also legally suspended their ability to evict people from their homes. But we all know the FLDS aren't concerned with Gentile law. If law enforcement came around, they would just play nice for enough time to get the police on their way. And then out came the Jets or Sons of Hellman or whatever. I was trying to make a West Side Story reference. <laughs> like, uh-uh. <laughs> hey, cool guy. So You're anyway. You're so cute. <laughs> but obviously, this decision sent Warren into an absolute fit. He concluded, obviously, that the devil was behind the attack because mm -hmm. God had 100% ordered him to ignore the lawsuits altogether. And his inaction is what he believed spurred this on further. He told the UEP board members to ignore the courts until they were physically forced to give up. Then on October 28, 2005, Seth Steed Jeffs, the road running courier brother of Warren and Nathaniel Allred, were pulled over in Pueblo City, Colorado, under what the officers thought was a drunk driving situation. I don't know if they were swerving around or what, but what they found hmm. inside the Ford excursion was something else altogether. There was a shit ton of unusual items, a laptop, letters addressed to the prophet, church records, $142,000 in cash, $7,000 in prepaid debit and phone cards, a GPS, a glass jar labeled pennies for the prophet, a photo of Warren, and a gift from FLDS children for the prophet. Both men were arrested. Nate was scared to death about going to a Gentile jail. And oh, wow. That's crazy. I'm scared about it. That's not... <laughs> why? And... Well, yeah, why are you scared? I thought you only obeyed the laws of God. Why, why, what's wrong with you? And he deeply regretted his decision to accompany Seth on this trip. It was easy for the police to nudge him in the right direction. They told him honesty would buy him a break, but lying would certainly buy him jail time. And so Nate told them that Seth paid him $5,000 to go with him on the road trip and have sex with him. 
Seth, on the other hand, denied the fuck out of everything Nate had told the police <laughs> of course he did. and told them he had no idea where the prophet was. But even if he did, he'd never tell them. Uh-huh. So he was charged with soliciting prostitution and harboring a fugitive while Nate was let go. In the end, though, a naive judge would say that he didn't want Seth to pay for the sins of his brother and he would make a plea deal that would re- merely make him receive a small fine and a little bit of probation. So he got out scot-free. Shortly after his release, Seth was on Oprah from the Texas compound where they regarded him as a martyr for the cause, a true Mm -hmm. hero. More and more abused children and wives came forward with testimony about Warren and the cult, and oftentimes they were stalked and harassed, threatened with various forms of ruin and blackmail to rescind their sinful lies that they were spreading about the prophet and his cult. The agency going the hardest in the hunt for Warren was the FBI. They had been investigating the FLDS for a long, long time, but had been keeping everything extremely quiet. But now that he had crossed multiple state lines many times, he was wanted as a federal fugitive in addition to the state and civil charges that were out against him. With the dawn of 2006, the FBI were ready to get in the fight for real, and they were backed with hefty resources. In June of 2005, Judge Denise Lindbergh in Utah suspended all known trustees of the UEP Trust, including Warren and his brother Leroy, along with Willie Jessup. Salt Lake City Certified Public Accountant Bruce Weissen was appointed by the court as a special fiduciary fiduciary to oversee UEP property and protect trust assets. Then in July, Arizona brought charges against eight Short Creek FLDS men on various charges connected with the practice of forced underage marriages. The next day, both Arizona and Utah each posted $5,000 bond for Warren's arrest, which was not much incentive for any FLDS member to rat him out, which would mean that they would lose their home, family, and livelihood. $5,000 doesn't do a lot for that. As terrible as it really was in the Crick, it was no match for the true horror that they imagined to be out the outside world to be. So in July, Utah and Arizona jointly announced a $10,000 reward for any information leading to Warren Jeffs' arrest. In May of 2006, the FBI added Warren Jeffs to its 10 most wanted list, now offering a reward reward of $100,000 to any information leading to his capture. Which you would think would be incentive. For sure. But it wasn't. Of course not. (laughs) In July of 2006, Marianne Jessup, who was only 12 years old... who was only 12 years and 24 days old, so barely barely 12, was forced to be sealed to 50-year-old Warren Jeffs, Jeffs after being handpicked by him three years prior when she was nine goddamn years old, which at that point he selected her to go to Texas to be trained on how to be a heavenly comfort wife <sighs> at nine years old. So she's been being comfort trained wife. on how to be a heavenly comfort wife for three years now. But she wasn't the only wife that day, and the tribal ceremony that took place was a means of binding the FLDS elite together in a criminal act with the exchange of underage girls that they called Daughters of Zion. Two weeks later, after spending time with Warren's favorite concubines, Naomi and Millie, for further training, which pretty sure meant they were just teaching the 12-year-old how to have sex with their disgusting husband, she was taken to the ceremonial temple bed he had designed to his specifications. There, she was sexually assaulted by the revolting predator, who spent the whole time panting and praying, and assisted by at least two other wives in a joint effort to induce terrible amounts of trauma on a 12-year-old girl. The whole thing was actually fucking recorded on audio tape, which was later transcribed. 
It says, uh, Warren, I'm just going to say it because it's really fucking gross. So Warren in the in this audio tape says that feels good. Now repeat the words from your mouth. How do you feel, Marianne? And a timid child responds, feels good. Oh, awful. There is more chanting gibberish. And then five minutes into this quote unquote ceremony, he instructs the girl to prepare for the greater light, the revelations of God on your behalf. And I could not be any more nauseous no. by any anything in my no life no way I, it, it is entirely nauseating on august in august of 2006 warren was captured on i-15 outside of apex nevada highway patrolman eddie dutchover pulled up behind a new red cadillac escalade it was red i know it was red how dare you fuck you you mocking jesus and all because the temporary license plate was obscured which is funny because warren was always so worried that some little detail they overlooked was going to be his demise and it was there were two men and a woman in the car and the driver handed him the license bearing the name isaac jeffs the woman's id read naomi jessup when the third man was asked for an ID, he said his name was John Findley. When asked if he had any form of ID, he handed over a receipt for contact lenses. Oh, is that oh, how it works? Oh, okay. Now I get it. Now that's my identification. Yeah. Super. Yeah. The patrolman noticed the jugular vein in the man's neck was pulsing wildly to the point that he asked him to step out of the vehicle. The two men's stories did not match up whatsoever. And then when he found the vehicle was registered to someone other than the three individuals in the car, they he knew something hinky was going on. After searching through the car, they found numerous items that would identify the man's true identity. And once the FBI arrived on the scene, it was confirmed the man was fugitive Warren Steed Jeffs. His initial court appearance would take place on August 31st, and it was decided that Utah would try him first, as the two first-degree felony counts of rape as an accomplice were the most serious charges that were levied against him. Warren retained Salt Lake City lawyer Walter Budgen as his local legal representation. He pled not guilty to the charges. Then he got Las Vegas defense attorney Richard A. Wright to be the overall head legal honcho. Wright was known in Vegas for being involved in some of the biggest legal cases of murderers, gamblers, and even a convicted child rapist and murderer whose entire crime was caught on CCTV, and he managed somehow to get that fucker life in prison versus the death penalty. Which, I mean, again, I don't really know how I feel about the death penalty but still that guy right. whose crime is all on tape kind of hard to look over it yeah yeah but warren's already tenuous mental state began deteriorating quickly from the moment that he was placed in jail he was diagnosed as mentally ill and depressed but competent to stand trial he was unable to control his impulse he was a but he was unable to control his impulses in jail even though he knew he was being taped with 24-hour surveillance cameras he masturbated so frequently that he was continually being reprimanded by guards. Then one day, he ran full tilt headfirst into one of the walls in his cell repeatedly. He would later attempt to hang himself with his PJs, resulting in a trip to both the hospital and psych ward. And I don't really feel bad, bad for him. Sorry. In January of 2007, Warren, who had been extradited to Utah to wait trial on two counts of rape by accomplice, uh, the... Uh, trial of elisa wall which she remained anonymous until much later on but because they would have probably right who knows what confessed to several family members by phone and video recording that he was a wicked man and not the prophet i'm not the prophet i never was the prophet and i have been deceived by the powers of evil and brother william e jessup has been the prophet 
since father's passing, since the passing of my father, and I have been the most wicked man in this dispensation in the eye, in the eyes of God. It's the best video ever. It's the best video. It's my favorite. While in jail, he said that he was a liar. He was never the prophet. But they And they would not believe him and said instead that it was the devil speaking. <gasps> they also said that it was a stunt double or maybe he was drugged. Basically, he brainwashed them so well that he could not even undo it. Right. Himself. <laughs> so it was a few days after that confession that he tried to kill himself. And after the prison, doctors treated him for depression, and a few weeks later, he took back everything he had confessed. He said it had been a spiritual test. His trial finally began on September 10th of 2007, and he was convicted on both counts. Two months later, he would be given the max penalty under the law, each count carrying a five-year life sentence to be served, five-year, two-life sentence to be served back-to-back, plus a fine of $37,000. A few months later, in February 2008, he was extradited to Kingman, Arizona, to await trial on four counts of sexual misconduct with a minor, four counts of incest, and one count of conspiracy to commit sexual conduct with a minor. On March 29th of 2008, a local domestic violence shelter hotline took a call from a female identifying herself as Sarah um, Jessup Barlow and claiming to be a 16-year-old victim of physical and sexual abuse at the church's YFZ ranch. Investigators eventually established by tracing the calls that they were placed by a much older woman, Rosita Swinton, who had been arrested for previous hoax calls, posing as abused and victimized girls. What? Why would you? Why would she be arrested for posing that way? I, I mean, obviously, like I don't know. Obviously, if she keeps doing it, it's probably for a reason. Yeah, there's something going on there. The, the call triggered a large-scale operation at YFZ Ranch by Texas law enforcement and child welfare officials, beginning with cordoning off the ranch on April 3rd. Wanting to avoid a Waco Part 2, law enforcement was very careful and deliberate about taking this measure. After an hours-long standoff, they finally gained access to the compound without any dire circumstances. As we saw with Children of God, the FLDS leaders selected certain children to be interviewed by law enforcement, and many were accompanied by FLDS quote-unquote guides there to intimidate anyone being questioned. It was very difficult to identify anyone by actual name, as they did not keep appropriate records, and they were constantly lying to law enforcement. In one interview, someone would say, my name is Betty, and I'm 18, and then in the next uh, in the next five minutes, she would say, my name is Jane, and I'm... 22. So, like, they were never keeping, they were just trying to confuse everybody. Despite the deception, within the first six hours, authorities found 18 girls between the estimated ages of 12 and 16 who were in various states of pregnancy or who had given birth, which is frightening all, all around. I mean, all you young moms out there, way to go. <laughs> you did, you did it. But in this situation, it was not on their own accord. No, this wasn't. Yeah, this isn't like my mom had me at 16 and like this is not that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) CPS needed to get all the children off the compound so they could interview them to find the extent to which the abuse took place. And in a fairly shocking decision, they allowed mothers to accompany their children to serve as buffers, essentially allowing the kids abusers to stay with their victims. 
And the FLDS, FLDS only let some mothers go who were the ones capable of keeping the kids from talking. Eventually, law enforcement would get yet another warrant to raid the entire compound where they found a cache of 33 weapons from Israeli military indus- industry-made weapons, AR-15s, and sniper rifles. A cop even said, ooh-wee, they could have held us off for a month with this stuff. Oof. Oh, my God. Law enforcement officers were armed with automatic weapons, SWAT teams with snipers, helicopters, and Midland County provided an M113 armored personnel carrier as backup, but they were met with no armed resistance. Somehow. I was like, how did they not? I know. No kidding. It's amazing. Authorities believed the children had been abused or were at immediate risk of future abuse, a state spokesman said. Troopers and child welfare officials searched the ranch, including the temples, safes, vaults, locked desk drawers, and beds. They found evidence leading them to believe that the beds were in a part of the temple where males over the age of 17 engage in sexual activity with underage girls. A religious scholar later testified in court that he does not think sexual activity occurs in the temples of FLDS sects and that the temple service lasts a couple of hours, so all the temples will have a place where someone can lie down. Oh my fucking god. (laughs) CPS officials conceded that there was no evidence that the youngest children were abused. About 130 of the children were under five. There's never going to be any evidence. And evidence later presented in a custody hearing suggested that teenage boys were not physically or sexually abused. Okay. Okay. CPS spokesman Daryl Azar stated, There was a systematic process going on to groom these young girls to become brides, and that the children could not be protected from possible future abuse on the ranch. Interviews with the children revealed that several underage girls were forced into spiritual marriage with with much older men as soon as they reached puberty and were then made pregnant. Raped. Mm -hmm. After Judge Barbara Walther of the 51st District Court issued an order authorizing officials to remove all children, including boys, 17 years old and under, from the ranch, eventually a total of 462 children went into the temporary custody of the state of Texas. The children were held by the Child Protective Services at Fort Concho and the Wells Fargo Pavilion in San Angelo. Over 100 adult women chose to leave the ranch to accompany the children. Children under the age of four were allowed to stay with their mothers until DNA testing to identify family relations was finished. Once DNA testing was completed, only children under 18 months were allowed to stay with their mothers indefinitely. A former member of the FLDS church, Carolyn Jessup, arrived on site April 6th in hopes of reuniting two of her daughters with their half-siblings. She stated that the actions in Texas were unlike the 1953 Short Creek Raid in Arizona. Jessup had been in Texas the prior month at a speaking engagement where she said, In El Dorado, the crimes went to a whole new level. They thought they could get away with more, but Texas is not going to be a state that's as tolerant of these crimes as Arizona and Utah have been. By April 8th, authorities had removed as many as 533 women and children from the ranch. On April 10th, law enforcement completed their search of the ranch, returning control of the property to the FLDS church. On April 14th, 2008, the women and children were moved out of Fort Concho to San Angelo Coliseum, where the CPS reported that the children were playing and smiling. Mothers had complained about the living conditions inside Fort Concho, sending a letter to the Texas governor asking him to investigate the conditions. In the letter obtained by the Associated Press, the mothers claimed that their children became sick and required hospitalization. They wrote, 
Our innocent children are continually being questioned on things they know nothing about. The physical examinations were horrifying to the children. Unlike molestation. The exposure to these conditions is traumatizing. Unlike molestation. FLDS and mental health workers complained about subjecting children to interrogation sessions, invasive physical examinations, pregnancy tests, and complete body x-rays. Women staying at Fort Concho shelter told the press that the temporary housing was cramped with cots, cribs, and playpens lined up side by side, and that the children were frightened. Never mind that y'all were like 40 to a tent without a toilet a couple months ago. That's fine. It's the side by side thing. Oh, God. The FLDS described the separation of mothers from their children as inhumane. When the children under five realized their mothers would be taken away, the children started crying and screaming, requiring CPS workers to pry many from their mothers. The children were placed in 16 group shelters and foster homes. Minors with children were sent to the Seton Home in San Antonio. Older boys to Cal Farley's Boys Ranch in Amarillo. Some parents stated on the Today Show that they were unable to visit their boys due to a shortage of CPS staff. Newspapers released names of facilities caring for the FLDS children that have requested donations of specific items, help, or cash. You know, uh, abuse victims often don't realize what is going on, especially as children, and know nothing else. So, of course, uh, they're crying when they're taken away from their abusive mother or the mom that's letting a man come and rape them at age seven, you know? Like, uh, of course. So, oh, boo-hoo, you little bitches. You shouldn't have been in the FLDS church, you fucking cunts. God. I'm furious. On April 16th of 2008, several of the mothers appeared on Larry King Live to ask for their children and tell their story from their own viewpoint. The program included a guided tour of the ranch by one of the mothers, showing where the children and families sleep and eat and stressing the loss felt with the children all now gone. The mothers, of course, declined declined to discuss the pending allegations of child abuse. And that was also like the the top. The like, this is the TV tour of the mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, compound. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the real true blue right. tour of a compound. On April 18th of 2008, after 21 hours of testimony, Judge Walther ordered that all 416 children seized be held in protective custody and that the DNA of the children and adults be tested to establish family relationships. Children younger than four were to be separated from their mothers, their mothers over 18, after DNA samples were taken. Older children had already been separated. Children were to be given individual hearings to determine whether they must be moved to permanent foster care or returned to their parents. On April 24th of 2008, authorities stated that they believed 25 mothers from the YFC ranch were under 18. On the 28th, authorities announced that of the 53 girls aged 14 to 17, 31 had children or were pregnant. After the women regained custody of the children, one half of the families left the Yearning for Zion Ranch and moved to another FLDS location. Carrie Cockerell, representing Texas CPS investigators, said on April 30th that they had identified 41 children with past diagnosis of fractured bones. FLDS spokesman Rod Parker attributes the fractures to hereditary bone disease <laughs> oh. and believes that the fracture rate was low considering the child children's physically active lifestyle. Well, I mean, yes, to be fair, they were fucking construction workers, so who knows? <laughs> who <laughs> yeah, fucking that's, that knows? is true. Additionally, <sighs> two children broke bones while they were removed from the ranch and one girl broke a bone while in custody. 
CPS investigators also made new allegations of possible sexual abuse of boys, citing their diary notes. On December 22nd of 2008, the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services issued a 21-page final report on the raid entitled El Dorado Investigation. The report found that 12 girls were spiritually married at ages ranging from 12 to 15, and seven of these girls have had one or more children. The 12 confirmed victims of sexual abuse were among 43 girls removed from the ranch from the ages of 12 to 17, which means that more than one out of every four pubescent girls on the ranch was an underage marriage, was in an underage marriage. Good. Good. A year after the raid, two-thirds of the families were taken back at the ranch and sect leaders had promised to end underage marriages. I'm sure we are going to stop. We have learned our lesson, Gentile world. Twelve men, not all apparently from the ranch, had been indicted on a variety of sex charges, including assault and bigamy. One child, a 14-year-old girl who was married to jail leader Warren Jeffs when she was 12, remained in foster care. The following summer of 2009, she was sent to live with a relative and ordered not to have contact with Jeffs. So after the law, after law enforcement scoured all the secret passageways and whatnot in the compound, they had to even bring heavy machinery in to break down walls to find all the things that investigators could only dream of, which were like crazy amounts of information, volumes of marriage Jesus. documents, computer yeah. disks, hard drives, audio recordings, flash drives loaded with Warren Jeff speaking for hours about stuff that was inappropriate. Uh, the recorded rape of a 12-year-old girl in a quote-unquote ceremony. They were all being kept in a secure bunker. And he had recorded pretty much every single action taken since he proclaimed that he was the prophet in 2002. Obviously, this was a treasure trove of material that was hidden. And there was daily journals that were the he he named the private priesthood record of President Warren Jeffs, oh God. which detailed his most deeply held beliefs, crazy impulses, dreams, fears, feelings, aspirations, everything. It was like, you know, we already know that he's like mentally unstable. Um, you know, uh, I mean, unhinged, and he is just. It's like I said, it's it's Kevin Spacey on on Seven. <laughs> it's him writing down like every single mm-hmm. thought he had for all of those years, clearly outing himself to a shit ton of illegal activity. Mm-hmm. Eventually though, CPS kind of gave up on all of this and it's unfortunate, but they didn't have the funds to keep going with every single individual case. And so they were, they started to drop them like one case after the other because, and they were claiming it was because they like cleared them or whatever, but the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, it was, they were kind of at war with each other. They even had to get Rick Perry, who was a piece of shit, but I mean, he even had to intervene and say, like, what are you doing, CPS, essentially? Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on here? But they just did not have the money to keep on going, and which is why they returned everybody pretty much to their home with the promise that you weren't going to be married yeah. off. Don't do it again. Yeah. Well, we're, we've learned our lesson. Mm-hmm. So on February 17th, 2011, Warren Jeffs instructed his henchmen to send out a quote-unquote warning to the nation, directed to be sent to the president, members of Congress, all sorts of very important people. <sighs> As a commandment from the Lord to let my servant go. Mm, mm, Let mm, my mm. servant go. Mm. And then began warning of great destruction when when they did not comply. You didn't listen to me? Well, you're going to be destroyed. He then expelled over 50 men from the cult. 
by the end of April 2011, he had to make sure that no one was going to usurp him while he was in prison. Of course. Uh, somehow, it still hasn't happened. That's crazy to me that it still hasn't happened. But he just kicked out every man pretty Yeah, that's much. true. <laughs> that wasn't going to just do whatever he said. Yeah. In 2011, uh, there was a trial from the evidence collected at YFZ in San Angelo. In July, Warren hired and fired several attorneys. Because <laughs> he just can't. Like, don't tell me anything. Before don't. deciding to represent himself. <laughs> He's a genius. Yeah, of course. They all represent. Why do they all represent themselves? And I and I, I remember reading the judge was like, you're out of your fucking mind, dude. Yeah. So the George, the George, the judge ordered that one attorney stand by as counsel, but he left him to his own defense, essentially. Good, good. The prosecutors presented two felony charges, one for aggravated sexual assault of one of Warren's wives, who had just been 12, and the second for the sexual assault of another of his wives, a 15-year-old. While the prosecutor described the evidence to be presented, which included docs, documents, audio, and video recordings, and DNA analysis, Warren Jeffs remained completely silent. DNA analysis. Like, that's... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Two former... FLDS members testified that Warren raped them when they were younger than eight years old, which is just absolutely horrifying. The court then heard about how he had manipulated and broken up families, how he worked to assemble a quorum of wives. All said he had 78 wives, 24 that were under the age of 18, 12 which were under the age of 16, according to investigators. On one occasion, his scribe wrote in some of these documents they found that he awoke at 5.25 a.m. and during his conversation with the Lord said, Wow, whatever you say, yes, sir, the Lord is showing me that I must take another young girl. He is showing me she will be easily taught. I will have to give her father the training. I will have to give her father the training. What? A few days later, that was when he was married to a 12-year-old. So it was basically like he saw some 12-year-old girl around. And mm-hmm. then in front of his little lackey, he was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm getting God's talking to me. And God's telling me, oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> your like, your are, hand on your ear you is the best thing ever. Are you kidding me? He raised no objections until the next day. And when he did, he spoke again for over an hour. Of claiming course. Religious freedom. Later that day, he read a revelation to the court while the jury was out of the room saying, quote, I, the Lord God of heaven, call upon the court to now cease this persecution against my holy way. He's saying, I, the Lord of God of heaven? He's saying that God, the Lord God of heaven, is saying this to him. Okay. Um, And then went on to threaten that the prosecution be humbled by sickness and death. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a way to get your way in court. Yeah. So the judge promptly chastised him for this and forbade him to say anything like that in front of the jury. Rebecca Messer, the wife that refused to marry Warren, testified about the role of women in the FLDS and told the court that according to the church, their salvation came from submitting to their husbands. Boo as fuck. Warren's careful record keeping of his own life was what gave the state its case. The prosecution only had to read what he had written or instructed others to write on his behalf, including descriptions of the assault on his wives. In some of these graphic recitals, Warren objected repeatedly, often invoking the Lord. There was even hour-long audio tape of him giving instruction to a quorum of 12 ladies about having group sex. Finally, a DNA expert confirmed that he had sired a baby with his 15-year-old wife. Another recording proved the assault of the 12-year-old girl, in which he addressed her by her name, 
And although the audio of that recording was deemed too graphic to be submitted to evidence in court, um, let me tell you, it does exist and it is stomach turning. And I think we've both listened to it. Well, and we just talked about it a minute ago, but yes, yeah, it's, but it's, it does revolting. exist. But it, and they transcribed it for court, but they just didn't right, play it. They didn't yeah. play it. Ugh. It took the jury less than an, less than well, an hour. Hold on. Just because like, how, where do you, where does child pornography Sure, where does right, it become sure. child pornography sure, yeah you know yeah uh, that's something that when we talk about certain things like this i'm always like are we is this child pornography no. you know but like we're we're talking about no like absolutely not as a news source i guess or like as a i don't know it just yeah it, it scares me no i know i no, absolutely not this is like a, no okay okay it took the jury less than an hour on august 9th of 2011 to come back with his sentence life in prison Good rent, bitch. While in prison, however, Warren took his suffering out on the people. And still continues to do. Yeah. Even as his trial was underway, he continued to regularly send revelations in scripture. He had already been a big believer that cleanliness was next to godliness, but now the people were required to submit a written report to the bishop saying that they had deep cleaned every inch of their house the way that the Lord had directed them to. What? The directions were very spe- Specific. Start by cleaning with one's right hand on the center of the ceiling in each room and work down from there. Yep. Clean clean rags were meant in the right hand as right hands must never touch anything dirty. And when the rag became dirty, they were to take it in their left hand and wash it as left hands were for touching anything soiled. So when your wives touch your dick, I hope they're using their left (laughs) hand, you fuck. (laughs) The same went for getting dressed. His people were instructed to put on their clothes right side first, right sleeve, right sock, right shoe, before putting on the left. Okay. Their food restrictions became um, tight as well. He forbade potatoes, milk, beans, squash, peas, oats, onions, and garlic. And the people were encouraged to eat mostly wheat products. What? Women and children were also required to drink an eight-ounce cup of water twice an hour on the hour and half hour precisely. Laughter was deemed light-mindedness, light-mindedness and therefore a sin. I feel like that's a lot of water for a kid. I, honestly, to me, it sounds like he was just trying to make everyone's lives as miserable yeah, as possible. like I have seven different alarms to go off every hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Or just like making them adhere to the same rules he had to. Or he has to while he's in prison? I don't know. What a garbage. In 2014, on April 16th, officials met with two representatives of the remaining eight adult residents on YFZ Ranch and discussed arrangements for them to vacate the premises. And the following day, April 17th, the state of Texas took physical possession of the property. To this day, a battle wages on between the cult and the U.S. government, wherein the FLDS challenges the government's intervention to secure the homes on behalf of people of Short Creek, Warren Jeffs wants the trust back so he can continue to blackmail them into obedience by not allowing them into their own homes. Somehow, he thinks, from prison, he should have this power. Most of the large polygamist families exist pretty solely on food stamps and other means of public welfare. They continuously take federal and state government assistance, the very entities they hate, saying it goes against their religious duty. FLDS leaders refer to this practice as bleeding the beast. Of course. And congrats, everyone, for conducting yourselves in such a godly way yeah oh 100 percent. fuck off all of you and we're done with you <laughs> flds that is where we end this very very long story 
<laughs> of these fuckface <laughs> cunts called the Jeffses. The Jeffses. <laughs> and the FLDS. I mean, gosh, some of you out there are probably somewhat nice, but you're brainwashed. They're not listening to this, you know. And I know. I, I, I saw, I saw just, I was, when I was watching that Cults in Extreme Belief, they were interviewing this lady and I was like, she seems like she's the, a nice ass lady, mm-hmm. but you're, you're brainwashed and you're allowing abuse of, of kids, you yeah. know, like period. For she, sure. She was For like, sure. what does it matter if they're 16? She's like, I believe they should probably wait till they're 18, but what does it matter? Get started early on being a godly woman. No. It's like, fuck. No, thank you. Me. No, no. Well, because you don't have – you have no choice in life whatsoever. Exactly. That's the issue is that they don't have a choice. Oh, my gosh. And they don't even apparently realize it. They don't even know that there are choices in life. Well, How sad. It's generational brainwashing. Yeah, like, yeah. It really is. And they don't really like outsiders, you know? Right. New people. It's, it's just as hard to get rid of that generational brainwashing as it is to instill it, I guess. I think it's harder to get rid of it than it is to instill it. If you were – the victim and now a survivor of the FLDS church. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you would like to talk to us, let us know. We have a website, creepitrealpod.com, where you can go and email us with any concerns or questions or anything that you'd like. Or just to say, hey, I was in FLDS until I was 18 and now I'm gone and here's what I have to say. Uh, maybe, you know, there might be some of you out there. Um, and like, I want to emphasize the, the children in this cult are victims and, you know, they are not in any way responsible for what has happened to them no in way. the yeah. cult. So, yeah. you know, in, in no way are we any trying to say otherwise. So, okay. I'm glad to be over with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate them so much and I will never get over it. So the FLDS was like my first foray into learning about cults Mm -hmm. so it was like really interesting actually doing it and like yeah actually doing it for a reason but i will say this this is one of the first one of the first times that we have uh research for a case where i was not surprised by anything that i read nor was there any change of heart you know (laughs) this was straightforward y'all are pieces of shit (laughs) so that was at least that at least i didn't have like some horrible thing where like there was actually no abuse going on and you know like it it, i mean obviously i wish that no one was abused of course you know there was no surprises in this one he's uh he's been a piece of shit through and through for as long as he's been around so thanks for listening everybody uh like i said go to the website Uh, leave us a review that would be great go leave us a review if you can Um, whatever you want to do just help support us it doesn't have to be you know financial but if you want to go support us monetarily you can always join the family the only good cult there is creep it real cult okay have a great life have a great everything creep Creep it it real. real